0: Welcome to Genius Leadership Overcoming Everything podcast. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighter mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders about their rollercoaster ride to leading from their zone of genius. If you find the show valuable, could you do me a favor? Rate and review the podcast. Share it with your network so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. And for now, let's take the ride together. Dear Genius Leader, welcome to the show in another episode where the Ukrainian voices about uh, leaving, living and leading in the war time. Today I'm talking to a friend of mine, Andreas Flopström. He is not Ukrainian, he's from Sweden, and that's where we met, uh, ten almost ten years ago. And um, some couple of years later, he moved to Ukraine and started a business. So he's the co-founder and CEO of a company called Bitroot, And I've been promoting them and following them all these years, for almost 10 years since they have been founded. And it's a company that is creating an amazing impact, both in the Ukrainian society, but internationally as well. And this is what we're talking about with Andreas. How they have built a company where the impact comes as a top priority and the commercial part of running a business is the instrument to that and what does it mean in practice how sometimes it is a tough journey of uh, choosing to follow your values to follow your purpose instead of um, going for the short-term wins and we're also talking about building the culture how organic that process was uh, for beetroot how that has affected the uh, wartime now. What does the role of uh, having the decentralized um, structure in the company and the culture of everyone having a sense of ownership? How has that affected all the beats living in the times of the war? We also go on the personal journey of Andreas with the vulnerability, for example. We have some interesting conversation there about The myth of uh, being a hero CEO and um, also whether it is easier to be vulnerable or not to be vulnerable, I think Andrea's uh, opinion there goes against the mainstream now and I'm very happy that he has mm, named that or voiced that and I hope that will really trigger some thoughts and new reflections, um, show some different perspective on the topic of vulnerability, especially among the tech CEO, founders, especially male ones. And um, of course, we touched the topic of um, the war and what you can do to support Ukraine in these times. And we're providing you many different ways of doing it. You can see the links in the show notes to see how you can contribute through the ways that Bitroot are working on with their uh, Aid for Ukraine fund and with their Bitroot Academy. But we also discuss why supporting the military right now, so Ukrainian armed forces, is more crucial than even the humanitarian help and how that is the preventive way of saving lives. We both discussed that it's very unusual for us personally to talk about that or discuss those things and for me to make the asks to contribute to buying ace drug drones and things like that but i think it's important to talk about that and continue talking that about that and you know that i'm having these conversations on the show because i want to use this platform for the good right for the good of you as the genius leader tuning in so that you can always get some value lessons here about different experiences and see new perspectives for yourself but also for a broader community and maybe in ukrainian it's my duty I would say, but I, I take take that very seriously, but also with very big... Um, I wouldn't use the word joy here, but I can't come up with a better word. I, I'm happy to have this duty to be able to contribute to uh, Ukrainian victory as soon as possible. We all have our role in this war, as we've discussed with a couple of uh, guests on the show already, and it's important to find a way to do it. This platform for me right now, for with you keeping listening to the episodes and learning something from the ukrainian founders and ceos right now is one of the ways of me contributing to our victory so thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for being here being a part of this community for contributing with your feedback every time that you do it through different channels and um yeah, today you will hear this in a couple of weeks, but today is my birthday, second of June, when we are recording this. So, if you want to say "Have a birthday to me," please keep downloading the episodes, subscribe to the show to not miss the episodes, write a review if that uh, feels right for you, but also go to the link uh, or to the post that I did today on LinkedIn with the different ways of supporting Ukraine as uh, your birthday wish to me. And contribute whichever way you want. Thank you so much and see you on the other side Andreas, welcome to the show directly. Let's hop in. Thank you. So we've been acquaintances friends I, I don't know how you would call it since my first year in uh, in Sweden actually, so we know known each other on and off for what is it, so twelve years almost
1: 11 years.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been amazing to follow your journey and see uh, your adventurous spirit taking you to Ukraine and building something very amazing. That's what I want to talk about today. So thank you. thank you so much for finding time, first of all. And let's just dive in. Can you tell us about beetroot And let's just divide this conversation to before 24th of February and, and after. So since 2012 and until 24th of February this year, yeah, what has Beatroot
1: been? Yeah, so so Beatroot. I mean, we started me and uh, another Swedish guy Gustav Henman. Uh We basically two engineers from Uppsala uh, in Sweden. We decided that we want to do something in uh, Eastern Europe, and um, we basically didn't have clean idea of what we would do. We were looking at different industries, different spheres, and uh, but the main thing was we wanted to do something that has a positive impact on. Society in one way or another, and we then concluded that uh, well, actually, we can do a lot uh, within the tech uh, industry uh, for providing uh, global work opportunities to to people and so on. So that was with a very very basic idea. Uh, we moved to Ukraine, and to be honest, it wasn't also obvious that it would be exactly Ukraine. We were at the time, this was in 2012, we were evaluating quite deeply Russia, Belarus, Ukraine, and uh, Moldova, and uh, we chose Ukraine, which we are extremely happy for, and um, always been one of the best choice uh, in, in in life. But yeah, I mean, long long story short, I mean, we have built uh, sort of a soulful uh, tech company here in Ukraine, which, uh, fast forwarding to before the war, we were basically nine nine offices in Ukraine, from Ivano-Frankivsk to Mariupol, uh, where we are building building software for typically like tech scale-ups. From all over the world uh, it's like 25 uh, countries there and we are focusing really hard on like making an impact in everything we do like a sustainable impact both in terms of what clients we work with as well as how how we work locally in ukraine uh, for example trying to get more and more women into tech we're around 40 percent women uh, in beetroot to today regional development so that's the fact that our, a lot of our offices have been in smaller cities or is in smaller cities that it's a very like, conscious choice. And then we also, in 2014, uh, after the start of uh, the war in Maidan, we started Beater Academy, which is it's, it's actually a separate company within the ecosystem. But essentially, it started as uh, short, practical IT courses that helps people start a career in tech. And we did that in small scale first in Poltava. And then we scaled up to, I think before COVID, we had 19 locations physically throughout Ukraine where, yeah, and then we switched to online with COVID. It's sort of like short bootcamp courses, mentor, yeah, with mentor support, but also an online uh, base with our learning management platform. And through the, yeah, for the last year, we have educated more than 3,000 people and 70% of those people go through the courses. They start a career in tech. So that would mean that, Around five percent of all new tech specialists in Ukraine would have gone through Beetrud Academy uh, last year. Uh, so we're doing that, yeah, scaling that, and the rest of Beetrud also now in uh, outside of Ukraine. Uh, but I guess everything comes to that. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Let's let's come to that a bit later. I want to uh, um, go a bit deeper on a couple of those points that you have mentioned so far. Uh, first one, you talked about that uh, choosing Ukraine is one of the best choices in life. Can you explain a bit more
1: what you mean there? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a long time ago now, but I mean, what we did at the time, so I was doing my master thesis at Chalmers. So we had a sort of a objective or like empirical database. So we were like comparing potential and so on, of the specifically then the tech markets of the different countries and so on. So that was one part of it, but I think the equally important was the very like subjective part that we, you know, once we came to Ukraine, we kind of felt, Really, really welcome from start. And we felt this like super drive of like people wanting to move forward and super, op- super openness for, for us. Uh, so it's always, I always felt home um, in Ukraine. And I mean, now it's almost 10 years from the start, you know, we were young. It was kind of an adventure. You didn't know if we would stay or not. But then I think it, in a way, it started even with, with Maidan when Maidan happened and then the war, like that whole, like being here in Ukraine during that time kind of uh, attached. Me or us to, to Ukraine, I think, in a way that, like, yeah, we want to be build, part of building up this country. So it's both, yeah, feeling of that this is, I mean, this became my home, uh, basically, uh, but also, uh, yeah, also the fact that I think that we, we can have some kind of a positive impact on what we're doing here. So,
0: And uh, that's a good transition to the next question I wanted to ask you. You talked about sustainability, and it's very um, omnipresent on your webpage, for example, when you talk was suspended from all the different uh, sides of it and you you mentioned for example that it um, affects how you choose which clients to work with does it mean that you for example had to say no to some clients if you feel like they're not aligned on that matter with you as a company
1: yeah it it, it does and and to be honest i mean more if you go through our 10-year journey i think our impact focus started in the early days on sort of the ground in creating good work opportunities, a friendly environment, a sort of lot of personal development, and this sort of focus on certain industries uh, has been more and more active in the last three years. So the industries that we are targeting or working most with, uh, this is like educational technology, uh, green tech, and health tech and med tech. So those are like the impact. We have companies in many, many different industries, but we also have a yeah, I mean, we are avoiding, let's say, tobacco, gambling, um, weapons related, um, pornography, uh, mm. all of those things. Uh, but then we also make like a judgment on a client basis that we actually rank since, I mean, we luckily we work in an industry which where there is a lot of demands. So we have can be a little bit picky and we one of our ranking, uh, important ranking points when we. Choose which client to focus on uh, is mm-hmm. uh, what is the you know the impact that this client is having on on the world, which is also something that of course also attracts certain type of people to us. So it has it all has like yeah it's kind of circular.
0: <laughs> have you ever doubted that? It's like was it ever an issue for you? You felt like okay, this is a very good project for us. Maybe it would bring a lot of revenue or we'll be able to hire even more talent, but somehow the project or the client are not really aligned and how if if there were any suggestions like that how did you navigate them
1: you we we had many heated discussions and it's i mean it's sometimes it's not you know completely completely obvious you know and you could have different arguments but i think i i mean the fact that we have an open conversation about it is another part of our culture is that we are also very like decentralized and self manage so we're like they we have this like guiding guiding values that uh, and the mission that it's like everybody's supposed to go towards and, and so on but except from that i mean you're also having a very strong focus on the personal judgment so we could actually have these arguments inside of the team and um, could we definitely, i mean yeah re- refused or like i mean choose not to work actively with with um Sometimes which could have um, generated short-term uh, good income, let's say, but uh, I mean, again, we are in the long term, and and we are not. I mean, we are a business for with we are a commercial business, but the mission of creating impact is sort of above above the commercial part. Mm-hmm. And if what we see, we will talk about this all the time. It's been from the very beginning that the commercial is a tool. We need the commercial to work out, of course, to be able to. Great impact to be able to scale and so on, Um, but they are not. uh, They don't. They shouldn't work against each other. uh, That's that's eddy.
0: And you mentioned the decentralized, and I'll go into that a bit more. But uh, before that, uh, you also talked about the soulful business or the the team, and I can attest to that from one of my good friends uh, who have worked for years uh, for Beatroot, and she was always talking so warmly about the atmosphere about people caring for each other about the culture that you managed to build with Gustav and, and the rest of the team, and how now years after she's finished working in the company, that she's still so warmly attached to uh, all the beats uh, in the company and uh, how the meetings, uh, Super Bowl, warm and uh, family-like years after. So tell us a bit more about how did you work on that and what did it mean in practice?
1: To be honest, very, very organically. And so from the beginning, I mean, we started, we started two of us with, you know, no basic funding and so on. It was all very organic. And a lot of these things that have become like sort of special features, just started as something, you know, like we, we came to a new office uh, in Odessa, our first office was in Odessa and, and it didn't feel so cozy. And we were like, okay, maybe we should have slippers on ourselves and maybe we should you know, try to make it feel as much home as possible and then this became a thing that eh, you know in Bitcoin we had slippers and then and I think in general I mean the whole idea I mean we, we brought we were uh, we were very young at the time and we were like okay we want to work in a company that we that is fun to work in uh, so let's build culture that we enjoy ourselves uh, so for like the first office the first I know 20 30 people we were like super super tight and everybody knowing each other, very well and then we're trying to i mean of course now we are like 600 people so you cannot know everyone so well personally but we're trying to copy that that feeling and it's also actually one of the reasons why we have many offices uh, while we are still, still we want to grow a big impact in in total but you still want to keep sort of a family-ish atmosphere yeah. yes it started very organically then of course over the years it's become more of like yeah you know you'd find like yeah but what are our values but it's it's not I think often when companies sort of define the values, it comes as something unnatural, and I think in our case, it's sort of trying more like trying to define what is already there at the core, something like that. Okay,
0: and uh, yeah, maybe before I go to the next question, because they are, I guess, interrelated with uh, the events since the February twenty-fourth. Um, let's let's talk about the route in the past three months. What what changes? Maybe the the scale, full- Invasion had meant for 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 the company and the offices affected and so
1: on yeah and it's you know it's just three months so so if you ask me in three years maybe you know we we, we will see different but so far uh, so of course of course it's been been very tough uh, a very tough period for us and then for everyone in ukraine or related to ukraine but i think most importantly is that we all of our beats are now in safety uh, or like relative safety at least and this was not uh, the case in in the early days i mean of course like first week and um, there was a lot of people on the move and and so on and then unfortunately we had a couple of team members who were stuck in mariupol for a long time and we didn't even have a uh, connection but yeah i mean we had we had a contingency plan that was i would say decent it was not perfect but at least we were able to sort of use a big a big part of it so we we actually had a sort of of things to, to implement, um, but you know it's like you plan for something, but you don't really you don't really expect it to happen in the end and then the scale of which it happened was still you know extremely shocking for for everyone i think but but one thing that happened is that uh, we had created like kind of communication channels before that people were adding in different groups uh, in in telegram and and uh, based on location and so on and these telegram groups they lay like at the point when the war started this became like a common support uh, mm. support group so basically yeah people helping each other with different things and then in our like, management team a lot of course basically the first days of course everything was refocused to sort of crisis handling and yeah, people switched role to evacuation coordination and and so on then uh, yeah so what we did yeah, so a lot of people relocated. Of course, uh, many of like many on by themselves, and, and some with our support, mostly within Ukraine and Western Ukraine, Central Ukraine, and so on. Some of our offices became bunkers, uh, like sort of shelters um, where where people have been living and working. Like more than hundred twenty people, I think, have been living and working in like living in in our offices. Um, mm-hmm. And we also started like an aid fund, like Beatrice aid for Ukraine. And the reason for that it was very like also agile. Like during the first days, and now you think about these three days, it's like it's like we did more in these three days than you normally do in like a month or two. But mm. it's just like adrenaline. And and but what happened was that of course a lot of people reached out and asked, "Can we help with something?" And at the same time, a lot of people in our network or extended net or needed help with different things and we were like you we cannot even handle the information flow so we created a structure for that and so from first of march we're running this aid fund which is used to in an agile way uh, like non-bureaucratic way distribute kind of not huge funds but sort of smaller support funds to a specific uh, trusted uh, projects, and, and um, yeah, so we've been helping like 75 different projects in, in that way. It could be everything from an individual family who needs help to someone running a shelter, to someone organizing medicines uh, and transport and so on. This part of our organization has been working with that. And it's so many things that happen in such a short time I don't even know what to focus on. But uh, mm-hmm. in terms of like the, the so our clients have been super, super supportive and our team has been, I, I don't know, yes, heroes. Basically, like uh, it's amazing how how everyone kind of stepped up. And some of our people, like a a lot of, I would say, I mean, it is like almost everyone has been involved in some kind of volunteering activities in one way or another. And some of our team members are, have been, or are in in the army. And yeah, most, I mean, almost everyone else are working uh, at Mm -hmm. the time being. So, I haven't seen the numbers from May yet, but in April uh, we were already back to like ninety seven percent working capacity from from before the war, which is also like impressive. And and it's not that you know we were like pushing we were like of course the first time it's like, okay, everybody takes time off and you know get yourself in safety and so on, but already after three, four days some people started to ask, Okay, I'm in safety, can I work now? And it's kind of and of course this is also important because I mean I the tech industry is one of the few One of the few industries that is basically capable of working in more or less normal circumstances, which uh, it it was important for the economy even before, but now it's even more crucial. Yeah,
0: we discussed it in the series that uh, agriculture, for example, that is one of the biggest industries or the biggest industry for Ukraine, is now uh, endangered. And uh, amazingly, people are going in the fields and trying to to work on that, but unfortunately, they're doing it on the Mine fields and uh, putting themselves at risk and it uh, is stuff, right? And um, tech uh, industry is now the the bread, I would say, for, for the country on the economic yeah. level, but also on the uh, health, mental health level and, and so on. Uh, but people can manage to focus on work. It's so important right now for them to not go crazy, to not just go in this rabbit hole of reading the news and thinking about the, their families and worrying and so on. When they can feel like they're contributing in some way, it's so crucial for us to continue going forward because this is a unfortunately a long game, and we need to stay in it until the end, right? Until the victory and, and that means that we need to see it as a marathon and re- keep recharging. And work is one of those recharging moments right now. So you mentioned
1: the more balance. What is it they say these days?
0: More balance.
1: Work war balance, like usually they work work life balance, now it's like work
0: war. Yeah, actually, I haven't heard that. Once again, unfortunately. unfortunately, unfortunately, you mentioned that you've had offices as shelters, for example, and also that you've built the the whole aid for Ukraine fund in in a couple of days. Um, and I wanted to get into that with the topic of the decent- decentralized teams you've been building since day one of, of Beetroot. And I have a sense from following you guys now in the past three months that the, that, that success of you of building the decentralized team with a very flat, flat structure has helped you enormously with these successes of being so agile with building the fund with uh, focusing on providing help for the Beats and their families and the broader community. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah, I can I can try. So, I mean, our idea from the very beginning was, I mean, when we started young and naive and, and not with so much experience, I mean, the idea was that, well, first of all, let's hire smarter people than ourselves or someone who knows something better than ourselves and then trust. Them. So the whole sort of origin, like the main, main core value of the Beatrice culture has been trust and responsibility and equality, essentially. Like these are, uh, you know, we, we don't have any kind of like, uh, we're trying to uh, you know avoid any kind of building of hierarchy uh, both in a like a structural sense but also in a, in a mental sense that yeah we are all equals and we are all here because we have different you know competences and different uh, strengths and weaknesses and we are working towards the same uh, common goal and and, um, and what we have been trying to build during all these years and I think mostly quite successful is this yeah, feeling of ownership and, and feeling of um, that there is a space to take take initiatives and, and move things forward. Which obviously also has led to that we attract certain kind of people who are really into that or who are like adapting to that over time. And so what that means in practice is that few like in a more classical organization, most difficult decisions will be taking up in the hierarchy. So for example, me as a CEO, I would have a lot of basically a lot of pressure on taking a lot of executive decisions on a daily basis and so on and we have built a structure where we try to take as much as decisions possible closer to the action and of course uh, you know when the war starts and everything is chaotic and the sort of information flow and the overview it's just not there it's just basically it's a chaos It, it becomes extreme extremely important that people are of trained and ready to just take own initiatives like not Mm. asking someone not did that happen i mean there are probably like hundreds of examples of how that happened in practice especially during the first uh, first days but there were like you know spontaneous working groups formed. cars you know day two they had created this like spreadsheets and the system for how we would track uh, each and everyone in the team, who is where, who might need help, and so on. Yeah, the aid fund also. I mean, you could say, it's, yeah, it's partly like just a spontaneous initiative based on, uh, yeah, based on um, the need that, that people the people saw on the, the ground. Yeah.
0: Have there uh, been hiccups during the process of building this this decentralized team? And I mean, before this February twenty fourth, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Someone not managing with this, like feeling like they need more guidance and structure, or <laughs> feeling that you're you're creating an anarchy in some way, anything
1: like that. Yeah, of course. I mean, all, all of that, <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think that any any I mean any way you choose to construct your organization, there will always be, let's like, say, we call it like pros or cons or challenges with it and so on. And I think I mean the, the main. The main benefit of a decentralized or non hierarchical organization is this sort of feeling of ownership and, and so on. The main challenge I would say is that it's it's not it's not always so easy uh, and, and, and it becomes it can easily as you say like people call anarchy but in, in a way for a decentralized organization it's even more important to have some kind of structures because otherwise it can be Become very chaotic, like it's not because some people don't want to take initiative, but because they're like, okay, where where are we going? Like, where are you, where are you? Where am I pulling that decision and so on? And of course, uh, I mean, for me as a CEO and founder, like who in I think most organizations would be like kind of the ultimate power. In practice, it means that maybe I cannot always take <laughs> the decision I I want because there are of course the other. And stakeholders in, in everything. So there are many different um, aspects of this, and I and I wouldn't say. I mean, we're not like. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't at this point. I would not call ourselves like a fully fully teal organization, if to use use that expression. But definitely like heavily teal inspired and so on. But uh, at some point, when you are several hundred people, you need to build certain the um, coordination functions and structures and so on
0: so. so the one of the benefits i could imagine of having the uh, decentralized uh, powers so what to say within the company, is that you as a ceo not only having the crisis things on your table what has it been for you personally as a ceo of the company that uh, people have the power and they have the sense of ownership on all levels of the company uh, to make their own decisions and take initiatives
1: no i think it's been absolutely for me i don't even know i mean talking about the last few months with the crisis and everything i don't even know how i would survive <laughs> this period if i was you know some kind of hero ceo who should take all decisions of course i also took a lot of decisions in these uh, you know months and and uh, to some extent even you know some kind of decisions that have to be taken really fast like i've taken them um but also other people have taken similarly like uh, fast decisions so i think it's um uh, if you make, I mean, if you get it to work, it. I've, I, I think it's an easier life as a CEO, and I mean, supposedly you're like less dependent on the CEO. But this is a. I think it's one of the things of building these structures is that you kind of. I think the CEO and a founder is usually very important for sort of setting that kind of framework or idea or like built it into the culture that this is how we do things. So. so that almost comes like top down, like in a way, like from the start, that this is like how we, but then, yeah, but it, it depends. I think, you know, uh, I, I think there are many different ways to build an organization, of course, and this is the way we choose because it felt like the way, the way uh, we're comfortable with, uh, but it's also, of course, it's evolving all the time in different ways. so
0: Hey, Genius Leader, I'm chiming in here quickly to ask you to do one thing for me. If you're enjoying this episode, share it with one person who you think would find it valuable as well. Let's spread the goodness together so that more people can play within their zone of genius. So what are your main roles or tasks as a CEO these days? What do you see?
1: To, to be honest, I think like right now, it's, uh, for the last you know, three months, it's been a lot about just trying to support the organization like you know mentally uh, and making sure that we are not like we are sort of sailing through this without losing still not losing uh, sight of our bigger goal and like why like how can we think about the bigger goal while we are in the middle of the war well actually I'm, i'm thinking that it's even more important now because you know everything now is about how we can use this organization to uh to create Great impact, basically. And what do I do on the days? I have a lot of meetings. Today. <laughs> um,
0: All right. Is it a lot of internal meetings or it's uh, quite a lot of with uh, external stakeholders?
1: Around 50-50, I would say. Um, I'm a little bit activated for the last three months. Also, network of like, I mean, it was happened naturally even before the war. I started to get contacted a lot by media, Swedish media mainly, and so on. And I realized that this maybe maybe my voice is actually worth uh, worth something there um, from I don't know being Swedish and having a sort of on the ground experience from Ukraine and and so on. But there's a lot of you would think that sort of everything is clear, but then when you go out there in the internet space, you realize that well, maybe not everything is so clear for everyone. <laughs> going on, so. yeah, that's a very important
0: role. And also, you have been. Growing your company in even in these times, can you tell us more about that, and also touch on the international part of the Petrod? Yeah, well, at
1: least now, I mean, we are back to some kind of we yeah, have growth. I mean, we are recruiting. We are recruiting in Ukraine and we are recruiting in Europe. So, with with the war, around one hundred of our five hundred people ended up outside of Ukraine, and uh, most of them. I mean, we have set up offices. For example, we have integrated. Uh, with a company called Scythegate in uh, Bulgaria. So we have uh, like full theater dots in Bulgaria and we set up the co co living, co working in, in Poland. And yeah, so what we are doing now is that we are, of course, you know, of course, like working a lot with continuously making sure that everything is stable, that we can deliver and we will be able to deliver in the winter even if the heating switch off and such things in Ukraine. But also, I think already around four weeks after the start of the war when things slightly like stabilized we went on and said well okay let's let's actually start recruit a lot of people lost their jobs uh, so let's you know let's do what we can we are pushing for growth in in ukraine but also in uh, bulgaria and uh, in poland and also on remote a lot of that is actually like ukrainian stores spread out in different locations and then the bitter academy which has been i mean we had started Teaching internationally, for example, in Sweden, even before the war. So it was all kind of, but we have speeded up that. And we are like one of the bigger initiatives we are now in digital academies. We are focusing on um, teaching uh, ref- Ukrainian refugees in, in Europe. So essentially, in, since we, we have been educating people for a global work market in Ukraine, now basically it's like the same category of people are now in millions ended up. In, in Europe, and many of those people will be in need of, yeah, a new career, and we have the tools to provide that. So it's kind of a very, like, almost obvious <laughs> mm. pivot for us to do at the time being. So, to, to uh, but we are basically we are fundraising for that. So, so we've started the uh, first uh, first groups, but uh, we have, um, I mean, I think we have the capacity to educate thousands of Ukrainian refugees in Europe and actually to do a career for. With skills that will actually give them work, basically. Mm-hmm. You,
0: you mentioned fundraising. It means that the, these people are provided free spots um, for the education.
1: Yeah, so we're like what we're building is like a scholarship fund, and uh, yeah, our goal is to at least educate a thousand people. I would even hope for more. I think we have the capacity for that because so what happened? We were on the path towards teaching, like, Say five, five and a half thousand people in Ukraine. This year, and of course, we are continuing teaching people in Ukraine, but there will not be the same amount. You know, maybe it will be around three, three and a half thousand, like uh, like last year. And basically, that means that we have the capacity, and we have already this years back we started to adapt our course material to English language and so on. So, um, so also, yeah, so it's both for refugees, Ukrainian refugees in in Europe, who could teach, we could teach either in English or in Ukrainian. Uh, but also for anyone, but the scholarship with FDR for the refugees, of course. And even before, like, I mean, we have had hundreds of people in Ukraine who have been studying with scholarships, for example, from the United Nations, from USA, from SIDA, Swedish, from Estonia, Canada. And uh, yeah, so there's been a lot of support there.
0: Can a company or someone who is listening to us as an individual provide uh, funds for the scholarship or contribute to that? Yes.
1: How Definitely. do they do that? Yeah. Uh, there is a well, let's uh, there is a site. So first of all, it's our site where you can basically donate you, as an individual or as a company. We appreciate all of that. Uh, if you are a company who are actually looking to grow your tech talent as well, we are extremely extremely interested in getting in contact so that we can build more of a structural relationship where you not only. You know, pay money to teach someone, but you actually also can make it the whole circle where you can provide the scholarships and then hire some of the best students and so on. It could really be a, both a huge, huge impact, but also a very, a very good deal. I mean, a very impactful deal also for your own company. So definitely, reach reach out to us, Beadrich Academy. Yeah, we'll
0: put it in the show notes so that people can um, yeah. tap in. Just uh, go to my page. And uh, talking about the uh, mentors and like the, the capacity that you have, you mentioned that there are, there are mentors in the, in the courses. Would you need pe- people more people of that if someone is listening and they are from the IT industry and like, I would love to contribute with my knowledge? Is that possible as well?
1: Definitely. That's, definitely. That's also one of the things that we are like. I mean, Digital Academy started like this, like local initiatives in Ukraine, and then it became national, and then we have adapted it to the international market. So basically, I mean, what we see for Bitrix Academy in the long term is that we want to be a global company that helps people all over the world to get, you know, build successful careers in, in tech. So yes, if you are a specialist in, uh, in tech, you know, who have skills in any of this, we're super happy. We are just, you know, started activate for the last couple of months, like active recruitment outside of Ukraine for teachers and so on. So it's something you can do like besides your normal jobs. So it's typically like evening and weekends. And you can over there's also lighter versions of like mentorship if you don't have time to spend like 10, 12 hours per week on, on teaching and so on. So, yes, come to us.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, genius leaders, that's just uh, our way of, of saying like, you can contribute in so many different ways and just reach out to uh, Andreas and his team for that. Let's talk about the academy and its influence on, on the refugees and it, both now and you actually have this experience since 2000. 14, right you have been providing scholarship places spots since 2014 for the temporarily displaced people so tell us about that how how has that affected the, the lives of those people how has that maybe affected like, your company uh, and uh, your clarity on your mission
1: thank you yeah. yeah i mean yeah it started as i said like in 2014 with specifically teaching internally displaced people from Donbass and crimea so that was the core and then we realized of course, there is a much, much, much wider uh, need. But essentially, I mean, the working in the tech industry is it's a good stuff to be any in any place in the world. In Ukraine, because of sort of the challenges in the economy as a whole, but while the tech industry is so growing and so much connected to the global market, the sort of move you're doing in your life is kind of extreme in the sense that... so. I say the average salary in Ukraine is around was around four hundred and fifty dollars or something like that before the war, while the average salary in the tech industry was around two thousand five hundred dollars in average. Right. So of course there's a lot of span there, but but the point being is that you could you could live in Ukraine and be part of a global or European or Western level middle class so that's that's the impact it has and um it's these courses are. i mean of course they are tools and you know you need to so we are always been we are always been interviewing and testing candidates and so on to see that who are really really motivated and if you really are motivated yeah usually you know for those who put in the effort you are usually able to uh, land the first job in in tech within you know after the finish the course so that happens for more than 70 percent of our our students. And yeah, I mean, this for this I would say for most of people, this is basically a life changing uh, event because you, you enter sort of a global workforce. And especially, I mean, even now, I mean, of course now it, it's the war, which is horrible in many different ways. Uh, but the fact that you are able to continue working and earning a salary, paying taxes, uh, no matter where you are, as long as you have a decent internet connection, that is some kind of freedom uh, i guess um and what was the next question
0: <laughs> it was just how 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 did it, it affected, as you said affected the lives of the students of yours but also you as a company and of course you said that the academy is a, a separate entity within the ecosystem but uh, whether that affected uh, how you do business in between well. as
1: yeah, and I guess I mean first of all, it means that we can call ourselves an ecosystem <laughs> in the sense that we are not. Uh, I mean, of course there. I mean, there are thousands of of like of companies out there and 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 so on, but there are quite few. There are some, of course, but there are quite few who are like able to take people the whole route from starting a career or like learning to uh, yeah to grow into a senior and then maybe be teaching in the end. So that's it's uh, yeah, that's a little bit what makes it and. An ecosystem. So, of course, uh, that has helped us, like as a learning organization. It's a lo- It's almost like if you make an analog of, of the of a factory, it, it, it you are like not or like like or like a factory trader. Like if you're just like, trading talent, <laughs> mm. like like which sometimes the outsourcing industry tend tend to be. Then you're just a trader. But if you are able to teach and uh, teach people how. To how to do it? Then you can, yeah, you're owning your production line in in a way like. sorry well, I studied in the industrial engineering, so I had to make <laughs> connections. <laughs> to and uh, of course, humans are, are a bit different than factories, but uh, but the point being that you you know we can create, we can be part of building a bigger value, and of course the value that we build in the academy the academy is much smaller than befit commercially for us, but I think the academy has probably a much or much, much bigger impact on the Ukrainian economy in the sense that uh, these graduates, they go to hundreds of different companies and creating value. I don't have the numbers in my head, but we but have, yeah, I mean, roughly, I think like for every, every dollar we put into the academy, we have calculated at some point that that generates like 10, 11 extra dollars into the economy within mm. the first year after mm-hmm. so. It's a very good, let's say, social return on investment economically. Um, yes, it's it's a very. I think it's a very important part of us at, uh, as a company, of course, and especially. I mean, I think in the beginning, it wasn't so obvious for for everyone. I think for the last few years, when this sort of lack of talent has become such a challenge for basically everyone, I think a lot of companies started to yeah to think about creating their own academies and so on. But it's actually. It's actually a lot of hard, hard work doing that. It's mm. not something you just pull off overnight. I mean, we've been working now for eight years for, like, gradually improving the concepts, gradually improving. The, the, but it's a lot
0: of fun. Yeah, you see, uh, we, we come back to the sustainability point of uh, of Peter, right? The philosophy is now you, you're creating solutions, right? There is a challenge on the market. There is so much demand for the tech talent, and you were not sitting there and thinking, like, OK, let's fight the other companies, for, for the, the few talents that are at the airless just uh, build more talent and, and nurture more of that. So that's really amazing to see. To
1: be fair, we're doing both, of course. <laughs> also fighting for
0: that. Well, that's part of it, right? <laughs> that's part of it. Um, so I'd like to talk about the leadership lessons of yours, since this is a podcast about leadership from the past three months, but also from the last uh, 10 years of, of building the company, almost 10 years what are your lessons and you can break it down into pre full-scale invasion and cluster month or combine it whatever you what you want
1: yeah yeah it's, it's a, that's a very wide question we <laughs> <But, laughs>
0: still have time
1: yeah yeah i'm just thinking where well, i mean with the risk of saying the obvious things here i mean it's talk about the whole it's easy for me to talk about the last three months right now. That's still what's circulating in, in the head. But I think that, as we already talked about, the whole concept of self-management has turned out to be very good in, the, in this, uh, this environment. At the same time, as, as, as me as a leader, you could say like, the, uh, the need of sometimes taking quick decisions is, uh, is more or like bigger than, than, than usual. One of the things with our self-management is that, that there's usually you want to involve a lot of different stakeholders when you pull an initiative, and so sometimes it can take quite some time to to, to uh, uh, change something. So it's a bit of a combination of using the the benefits of both. Yeah, I mean, I think as an organization, one of the most important things we've done is to like create the platform for communication, which again helps people to help each other and that was one of the things i said before like we had prepared already before the um, the crisis or the war and that's yeah that's been very and actually it's interesting that you mentioned you have a friend who's a former but one thing that happened was that some people who are not working with us anymore but who felt a little bit i don't know alone in this whole crazy war situation so at some point uh, during the first days of the war, someone asked like, "Can we add old beats into the group?" And we're like, "Yeah, okay, sure, of course." And, and then suddenly we had like twenty people who were not, not even working in the company anymore, but were still involved in that sort of support support group, and that that felt really good. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm just shooting random. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: and uh, it's good. Uh, uh, it's probably my uh, my responsibility. Because I asked a very broad question, and I want to pause on. You said building a platform for communication. Uh, do you mean really the technical, like making it clear, like hey guys, let's let's talk via these channels, and um, these are the questions we discuss here, and these are the questions that we cover here, or is it also the on a cultural level? Can you explain more about?
1: What, well, what actually, actually both. Uh, so I think that, I mean it, it is important to have the technical space like here is where, and it was important that we had that set up before because so what we did was so to be honest I mean we we had been talking about the potential of a war around since New Year and we had this continuous plan and we had this continuous meeting but I think some people took it seriously and some were let's say more interested in the upcoming ski trip that we were planning to start on the twenty fourth of February. Um, oh, the and,
0: irony.
1: But, Yeah, the irony, so that's actually a strange anecdote, but one of the first questions that came up on the morning of 24th when we gathered the team was like, will we cancel the ski trip or now? Because it's like people have not really yet, you know, absorbed the, the fact of what's happening. And like, yeah, but we were supposed mm-hmm. to ski. No, but <laughs> so, so since things happen so quickly, and I'm now talking maybe like uh, to an international audience, if, if you're like, want to prepare for some kind of crisis they think these things that takes a few hours even to set up uh they might be actually very crucial during the first few hours of, of a crisis situation so what we did was we had this early morning call first with the we had a smaller contingency group where we had a call like at six seven in the morning 24th and then one hour later we had the call with the whole company and everyone who were able to switch and so basically what we said in that meeting was of course like opening okay let's you know talk about anything you want like every week we had our swedish team it was like yeah we're going to be online all day and and we can talk to each other here uh, but also what we did is say well now we actually we implement the plan and then even those who were they maybe not so ready before it's like oh ah, yeah you know had this email somewhere with this you know i had the address of that office or whatever so it's both i mean but i think it's also about an environment where i mean we've always been trying to create this environment where everybody can talk to everyone and then we it started of course with the office environment um, but then with covid you know when we all became remote and and so on it it became a bit more spread out and, and something i mean something you can choose i mean some some people are very active in this inter-exchange yeah. uh, and some people are less and that's also okay like, it's a, I, sometimes it's a bit like student life uh, and, and you have this like uh, i'm now talking pre-war and and like i mean you have different groups or interested in different things and mm-hmm. you can use that the beat as a platform to organize for well, i know singing lessons dancing sports like intellectual games and uh, doing some charity initiatives like so we always said that beatrick can be in be in platform also such Mm. thing meaning that you have created different groups that are closer to each other but still you have this sort of one thing that that unites unites us all so it's it is um like in ukrainians this way like it's like everyone are your people in in a way even if you don't know uh, each other closely personally so that i guess is about creating an environment of openness of also you know like an environment when you are able to be vulnerable you know we always talked about wholeness and like bring your whole self to work take off your mask and and, and so on and yeah i mean during the war of course i mean we have had calls when I know, we have been crying together because yeah, because that's how we feel and then and that's okay
0: how has that been for you being vulnerable um, since the very beginning i don't mean the particularly last three months but has it always been easier for you
1: i think it's easier to be vulnerable than not to be to be honest
0: okay i want to unwrap that much more because this is goes very much against what i hear from many ceos uh, especially in tech hmm. so tell okay. us
1: more what, what, what do they think?
0: <laughs> <laughs> they say that 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 is scary and it's super hard and if they try to do it for example on the board meetings or with potential Investors, uh, they directly lose points, and they are seen as unprofessional or incapable of doing their CEO work because it's tough to be a CEO, especially when it's a startup phase of the company. Mm. So a lot of people feel uh, either have a complete block, and they are like, "I would, I, I, don't see the point of being vulnerable ever." Or a lot of founders whom I talk to, they say that I, I would like to but my environment is just very
1: toxic for that. Okay. I I don't know. I mean, it's it's maybe it's a little bit hard to comment. I think, I mean, I was literally crying (laughs) during the board meeting uh, on the 24th of February in the evening, and I think that felt very relieving. And then, you know, you sort of finish that and then you can, you know, discuss. I don't know. It's hard to reflect on. For me, it's always like, I, it's just hard for me to see it any other way. I like think if, if you're not vulnerable, I mean, it means that you're not um, coming down deep uh, enough to be able to actually feel mm-hmm. each other. Like I, I, I don't know. It's sorry, it's a little bit hard to reflect on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I haven't, I haven't really thought about <laughs> doing it another mm-hmm. way. But
0: maybe
1: it, yeah. I mean, it maybe one, one thing is that I think that it maybe it's easier, I'm just trying to. Like how well, know, if you come into an environment where where you I mean, you come into a context. That, I mean for me for through it is sort of uh, in in one way it's like a prolongation of ourselves because we you know we came to Ukraine with empty hands and then you built and you started it, it was very like started to build it with friends and so on. So it's kind of actually maybe you know, maybe if you jump into a completely different environment, uh, like an environment that you're not in part of growing or you don't know people in the room and so on, maybe it's completely different thank
0: you it could be part of your nature and that's that's the thing that i've seen from you from the very first meeting you how open you are and how the first phrase that comes to my mind is really wearing your heart on your sleeve right You you were always easy to read but in a very positive way it's not about like you've been i don't know simple or naive or anyhow no it was just that you you were bringing to the surface what was uh, deep within and i would guess it partly goes from my experience of, of mind shifting and working with leaders it goes to or comes from self-awareness that to bring to the surface what is deep within you you actually need to understand what is deep within you mm-hmm. so how do you, like what comes to your mind when I comment that way
1: well I was actually when you, I started immediately to think about uh, how you know how it impacts your interaction with others because I think especially I mean if you work in any companies working with people right but uh, especially when like basically i mean we're in a way like we are selling competence so you're working closely with people so it's and i mean to be honest like your success is very dependent on you understanding what's going on in someone's life like or like how how someone feels at the time and like uh, and so being able to sort of spot that and i think if you are like wearing a mask and being close yourself you will get the same back uh, which will eventually mean that you're not able to read the people who you work with, which will not impact your company well like so uh, and and I think it's also like it's also something about not having anything to hide, and if you talk about sustainability and impact is also I think it's important to try to build a company in a way that you don't have anything that you want to hide
0: mm. <laughs>
1: in the end and I don't know if that answered your question, but uh, what's um, it does. It's a bit like uh, it's not the same question, but but uh, I, I got the question like many, many, many times when we uh, especially like less now actually, but more in the beginning. Like we we're like uh, we were talking about we were traveling around the Ukraine. And we were saying, yeah you want to? We want, want to start Digital Academy to make impact, and the company is based on impact, and so on." And you get this, this sort of questions like, "Oh, but what, what's in it for you?" Or like, "Why are you doing this?" And so on, and and uh, like. And my, my, I always want to turn that question around, and it's like, if you're doing something and it's not to make an impact, so why the hell are you doing it? Like that's mm-hmm. kind of like, what's the point? So uh, I think I think that's the logical starting point. Yeah, not
0: for everyone, obviously, since you're getting this question as well. But um,
1: I see, but I see a trend there. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely changing a lot, and it's changing a lot in Ukraine. I think, of course, with the sort of Common trauma and, and the war, and so on. I think so, like already since 2014, and gradually, like more and more and more, I think there's just, uh, just more and more feeling of that there are so many people who are doing things to, to make an impact, basically. And uh, which is, uh, yeah, it's one of the reasons why, it's, why I en- enjoy so much uh, living and being in Ukraine because uh, it feels like there is a lot of purpose in a lot of different things happening. I
0: remember the conversation while the time you visited Gothenburg and we met for uh, a short uh, walk and coffee uh, and you were like almost interrogating me, like why, why do you want to stay here it's so boring in Sweden and for me it was like why do you want to go to Ukraine and for you it was like there's stuff happening and you can actually like affect things so it was uh, very fascinating for me to see how like it, it was very different for the two of us and uh, we could still like have a fun conversation around that. Yeah,
1: but it's just, and of course, like I mean, it's it's everything depends on where you come from and where you go. And then it's like, maybe, you know, maybe if I uh, was born in, in, in Ukraine, maybe I would go to Sweden. And, and then maybe you know, it's like, you, you never know, like it's like our lives. Uh, and I didn't know, of course, I mean, I ended up in Ukraine. I'm super happy for that. But it was also to be fair. I mean, it was a lot of random factors that impacted that choice. And then it turned out that, well, this, I think this is a really good choice. Uh, yeah, it's uh, interesting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You never know what uh, what the next turn really gives you, right? Or shows you on the way. Yeah. Andreas, uh, if people are interested in working with b contributing somehow, uh, we, we've already mentioned, uh, we'll put the link to Aid for Ukraine in the show notes so people can donate if they want. We'll put the link to the b Academy. If people want to sponsor uh, scholarships or become some kind of partner. Um, anything else that I could mention that can be of value for your ecosystem or for Ukraine
1: right now. I mean, I think Ukraine needs any any support Ukraine can get, and there is a lot of support out there, luckily. But you know, the the need is like kind of endless. What would be the best way? Of course, it's it's you know, mental support is like supporting by putting pressures on your government to support Ukraine better. Um, but you can also, of course, do like uh, personal donations. I I know that. A lot of people are supporting with humanitarian aid, which is super helpful, of course. At the same time, I think in, in Western countries, it's often sort of not natural to think that you could support with military aid, for example.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is something, you know, I, maybe I didn't think I would say this myself a few months ago, but I think that one of the most important uh, supports that Ukraine can get also from private donors in, in, in different ways is, unfortunately uh, like military military aid and then there are many of these initiatives that are like uh, people gathering money for drones or for pickup cars and so on and and these this support actually have an impact on the ground so it's it's sort of humanitarian aid it helps when let's say uh, hell has already happened or like when when things have already gone wrong uh, but unfortunately what protects i mean the reason i'm i'm now sitting the reason why I'm sitting in my house in Kiev right now is uh, is because Ukrainian, the Ukrainian army and society was able to stand up against the uh, aggression, specifically around Kiev. But unfortunately, this aggression is still happening, and there are still like millions of people who are in in a very, uh, very difficult situation. And um, yeah, so, help humanitarily, but also uh, military, and also really put pressure on uh, on your government to. To support ukraine if, if you can mm-hmm. especially if you have like contacts you can go out demonstrating and so on and yeah don't do any business with don't do any business with russia do all the business you can with with ukraine mm-hmm. that's extremely mm-hmm. important because the economy in, in is, is a very important long-term factor and ukrainians will do a good job mm-hmm.
0: yeah for sure okay. i i have I, so I many friends who are, are in European ecosystem in tech or uh, entrepreneurship. And they're just commenting on that all the time how happy they are with the deliverables and the quality and the time of the deliverables from the Ukrainian contractors, suppliers, whatever it is. So, yeah, it's uh, I can attest to that as well with my team. Yeah, I can also say that it was weird for me to say it, but uh, today's my birthday. And I actually posted a, an ask as a birthday present to contribute to mm-hmm. buying the airstrike drone for one of the battalions where a person whom I know personally uh, is working uh, or is serving yep. right now.
1: And you tell me only now it's your birthday. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's not the go- the main thing of, of this day, but it, it's actually a nice good. for me to have this kind of conversation as part of my birthday. I I really love it.
1: And it, uh, it's a good reason to ask for, for some support, especially if you know someone personally, of course. That's, yeah.
0: And that's that's the thing. It was weird for me to do it because I know that, as you said, when Westerners are having troubles with contributing or to the purchasing military equipment and so on. But right now, that is much more helpful than humanitarian help in a way that it's a preventive measure. Unfortunately, and uh, there we go. Uh, for my birthday, I'm the first for the first time I'm asking people to contribute to buy something that on a Nuclear level does harm, but mm-hmm. on a bigger scale, things it actually is saving lives and hopefully stops the suffering sooner. On that note, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Andreas, I'm very grateful for for you finding time for this uh, honest topping conversation, and also grateful for everything you're doing for Ukraine and um, for having you as a friend for all these years. It's uh, really inspiring for me and very valuable for me to have you as one of the role models that I, I look at whenever I, I feel that stuff or I feel like I'm, I'm lost so thank you
1: thank you no <laughs> not make me shy but, uh, pleasure is always mine. thank you and uh, yeah thank you for having me
0: and thank you continuously for tuning in and uh, as usual talk to you next Wednesday Thank you for joining us for this episode of Genius Leadership. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button to not miss an episode. And to help more people become even better leaders, rate and review our podcast and share it with your communities. For more conversations about living and leading from your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honest conversation about leading yourself and others. And it's my honor to be your guide in overcoming everything.